get, if you're going to Blanca and it's called Blanca. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, it's, I know it's spelled Blanco, but in Texas, uh, it's it's an older city and everything. But the Texas back then said Blanco. Gotcha. And so Blanco stuck. So gotcha. I and Texans know that. But I even have friends go, "Oh, is she in Blanco?" And I go, "No, it's Blanco." You know. <laughs> this is Stu giving me pointers on how to fit in in Blanco, Texas. The pronunciation helped, but I couldn't have prepared myself for the way my five-foot-tall, bright yellow Honda Fit stuck out like a bumper-stickered sore thumb among the jacked-up F-250s and cat tractors, nor for the way my clothes and shoes, reminiscent of 70s Shelley, would be glaring indicators of my out-of-townness. This, dear listener, is episode 10 of Texas Twiggy a podcast about Shelley Duvall. I'm Emma Lehman, a longtime Shelley admirer and the producer and narrator of this podcast. Today begins the journey to Shelley's hometown and her childhood homes, from Blanco, Texas to the middle of Houston. For the sake of brevity and our ever-decreasing attention spans, I will pretty much be skipping the part where I drive myself 21 hours from L.A. to Blanco, which is a story in itself. If you want to hear more about the trip, along with daily updates, both audio and written, I think you know what's coming. Subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com slash texastwiggy, for exclusive content and bonus episodes and live updates. Previously on Texas Twiggy. Now, remember I told you Shelly got in an accident in that car? Mm-hmm. This was where she was turning left. Oh, wow. This is right here. And she was turning left, and the lady was coming this way. That's Shane Duvall, Shelly Duvall's younger brother. It's a sunny Thursday afternoon in Houston, Texas, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat of his Jeep Wrangler, looking out the window at a small intersection a few miles from the I-10 freeway. Her mother was in real estate, her father an insurance agent. Her family moved around a lot before Shelley's brothers were born. They lived in hotels for so long, in fact, that when they moved into their first house in the Houston suburbs, Shelley asked her mother where the elevator was. Well, it all started with art, I guess. And uh, my boyfriend at the time, I was, this, I was 20 years old. I had just dropped out of uh, a junior college. I decided to take a six-month rest from my science uh, endeavors. And I gave a party for my boyfriend, who's an artist. And I was showing his paintings to just some friends of ours. So it wasn't unusual one night when three men walked in whom I didn't know. And one of them said, um, after they saw the paintings and heard my spiel, uh, they said, quote unquote, how would you like to be in a movie? Really, this is the story of two bobs, uh, a Mediterranean island, a bunch of dummies filled with cocaine, and the spinach-loving sailor man who uh, ruined them both. And then his steamer trunks go missing. So Cocaine Bob is stuck on this rock in the middle of the ocean without his rocks. So, as one does, Cocaine Bob goes to the Maltese prime minister and asks for help finding his personal luggage. Except he emphasizes to the PM, you cannot look inside the trunks when you find them. In 1985, she formed another production company, Mea Culpa Incorporated. In 1986, she formed Think Entertainment. In 1988, Cactus Productions. 
91, Platypus Productions. I knew something went down with her production companies in the mid-90s. It looks like every company she owned was bought or subsumed by some larger entity, if not involuntarily forfeited. But that, a decade later, she just moved to the middle of nowhere and sank into delusion? No, no. Oh, no. It just didn't sit right with me. How could this woman, who had a six-season show, multiple production companies, influence in the A-list circle, connections galore, and a seemingly unshakable sweetness and optimism, suddenly vanish? And why did nobody care? Blanco is a town of anywhere from 1500 to 1800, depending on which sign you read. I'm no cartographer, but I'm pretty sure it's literally in the center of the state, accessible by small offshoots of the I-10 that are named confusing jumbles of letters and numbers. FM 623 on to... Wait, FM 1623. Okay. So then is 108... 108 is the same as Cooley, I guess? It's got one of each thing you might need. There's the hotel, the hardware store, the antique shop, the pharmacy. To get anywhere, there's a lot of driving. There are a couple restaurants, a Dairy Queen, a taqueria, a bank, and a mom-and-pop pharmacy. But it's really, really beautiful. Hill Country, the geographic region of central Texas where Blanco is located, looks like the pictures in one of Shelley's beloved fairy tale books. It's sprawling, wide open, and carpeted with a thick, lush, green grass that doesn't quite compute in my L.A.-conditioned brain. Lavender is their claim to fame. Every shop, hell, even the gas stations, has a little lavender product kiosk. And I swear the town of Blanco itself smells faintly of the homey, earthy flower. There's even a lavender festival in June. Sure, I'd call it rural, but it's not the boonies. Nearby Fredericksburg has what I'm told is the best Oktoberfest in the country, and the place is only about an hour outside of Austin. It feels just central enough to be a good place to make a home, but definitely isolated enough that the paparazzi and general hullabaloo of Los Angeles can't get at you. As I pulled into a charming little motel with a billboard proclaiming, Enjoy Hill Country, I understood Shelley's relocation a little more. It's beautiful out here. I felt at peace, untouchable. I'd bring my 78 birds here, for sure. As you drive into town, you pass these ranches, huge properties set so far back from the road that it seems like you see their mailboxes several minutes before you see a front door. I know from my letters that Shelley lives in one of these beautiful yet modest homes flanking the country road. After 21 hours in my car, which by the time I arrived smelled like gasoline and old Mexican food, the crisp lavender air was welcome. I had a few goals in Blanco. First, I wanted to interview the people at stores and cafes Shelley is known to frequent. 
TikTok comments on my research consultant's fan page revealed today's Shelley, by turns angry and volatile or sweet and hospitable. I wanted to know what of these comments was true. She's extremely rude to me and my co-workers. So sad to see someone deteriorate like that. Shelly will be forever protected by her fans who couldn't protect her. She was my childhood and is my creative inspiration. Knew her only at the Fairy Theater for the longest time. And then I found Millie Lamoureux. She is such a beautiful and rare talent. My dad and I helped her with groceries one time. She was very kind to us, and it's hard to imagine her being any other way. She comes into my store asking for supplies to board up alien portals in her backyard. Second, I wanted to interview locals about Shelley. I figured that in such a small town, most people would recognize the name. I was not prepared for what I found. Good morning from Blanco. Today is a Blanco day. I'm going around to local businesses and asking them about Shelly. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to like get to know the town and stuff. I developed um, a sort of morning ritual in Blanco. With a two-inch blade in my pocket and my pepper spray unlocked and gripped tightly in my right hand out of paranoia more than anything else, I would walk in the waning dark out to the motel's deck furniture and watch the trucks hurtle by as the sun rose. I kept my eyes peeled for that white truck full of stuff that I was told is Shelley's, but mostly I just sit and think about things. Things like, I'm less than a mile from Shelley right now. Things like, is it creepy that I'm less than a mile from Shelley right now? Mostly, though, I just enjoy the hill country quiet, the faint scent of lavender and mulch carried by a brisk morning breeze. I thought that morning about how I would introduce myself, what I would say, and who I would seek out. Hi, I'm a reporter from L.A. You? No. Hi, my name is Emma. No, nobody cares. Hi, strange question. It only took a couple of interactions to learn. Everyone. And I mean everyone has a Shelley story. I started at one end of the street that comprises town. That's town with a capital T, as in, today I'm driving into town, a phrase I did not think I would ever utter, and walked into every open store door with my recorder. Store owners, cashiers, waiters, authorities, every single Blanco resident I talked to not only knew Shelley, but had spoken with her. The stories were heartfelt and heartening, sometimes bittersweet. And sometimes just really, really sad. Shelley could be a wonderful soul, it seemed. But honestly, it sounded like she could also be downright cruel. For every story of a warm conversation or a kind gesture, there was a story of hot coffee being thrown in someone's face or a DQ blizzard being hurled at the counter. I began each time with the same line. I have kind of a strange question, too. Sure. Yeah. Conversations? I have a strange question for you. I have a strange question, too. Has <laughs> Shelly Duvall ever come in here? I was surprised that my kind of strange question was not one that people seem to get often. I suppose that few people go as far as to come out to Blanco to ask about Shelly, though. 
Answers ranged from the informative. Meet up with her and you're going to interview her. You need to be careful what you say. Interesting. Because she'll, she'll zing off into left field somewhere. And really? She just, I talked to her one time. Sometimes she come across to her. And as long as you're nice and you ask her, sometimes she, she's pretty easy going if you ask her about her career and stuff. How is this person born? Just be careful if you ask about The Shining because she said that's what happened to her. It was after making that movie. The directors and the people were real mean to her. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, just the filming of the place, she said it was like super haunted. And she was never the same after that. Damn. So, yeah, she lives out there by the greenhouse. But she still had a bunch of 18-wheelers and stuff, you know. Oh, wow. She's not hard to find. If you're driving around and you see like a white um, Land Cruiser, Toyota, and it's filled up to the roof, and it looks like just enough room for one person to drive, that's her. To the incensed. Did Shelly Duvall ever come in here? No. No? No. Don't say that. <laughs> to the idyllic. Do you know anything about Shelly Duvall? I do. You do? Does she ever come in? She, she doesn't come in, um, but she does park, and we go to her. She doesn't like to get out if she can help it. So she drives all over town. Everybody kind of knows who she is. And we all do what we can to get her what she wants or what she needs. And that's just kind of how it goes. She's very nice. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. There was a guardedness to each answer, even from those who seem to have gotten on Shelley's bad side. Overall, it seemed like Hill Country was protective of their somewhat reclusive, occasionally cantankerous star. Whether protective of her or from her, well, that depended on who you asked. Now, I will say if you see her, it's, a, it's likely if she gets out of her car, she doesn't have shoes on or doesn't. She'll have on, like, pants, one leg rolled up to her knee, and one, uh, yeah, just... Eclectic outfits. Absolutely. <laughs> Doing whatever she whatever she wants to. And honestly, she's earned it, I think. You, Nobody would know who she is if they haven't seen her. Mm -hmm. Because she's probably 300 pounds. The thing that she really likes to talk about is, I don't know if you knew it or remember it or anything like that, but it was bedtime stories with Shelly mm -hmm. Duvall. Yeah. She loves to talk about that. My husband dealt with her when he was chief of police, so. Wow. Does she come in here? No, not anymore. She's poor hot body. So, no. She what? No, she's not coming here anymore. Oh, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, with that said, um, can I do an almond milk latte? Okay. Do you want a hot or ice on what side? That last one is a little hard to hear, but it's a barista at a cafe telling me that Shelly poured hot coffee in her face. What you hear after that is me awkwardly trying to mitigate the tension by ordering an iced almond milk latte. Still, there seems to be an overarching protectiveness, almost defensiveness, of those in Blanco towards Shelly. Even that barista called her a lovely woman, who had an understandable moment, as we all do. And even people who didn't seem to be too fond of her, whether it's the Dairy Queen worker who had a blizzard hurled at them, or the wife of the chief of police 
whose husband had had more than a few run-ins with Shelley. Even these people spoke only respectfully of her. By the time I got back to the motel, my head was spinning. It was clear that the Shelley I'd built up in my mind was not the Shelley that existed in 2021 in Blanco, Texas. But what did I expect? It wasn't that she turned out to be some menace to society or that she turned out to be perfectly okay and entirely villainized by fabricated media. She turned out to be human. The real Shelley was somewhere in between. She has her mood swings and her rude moments, just like we all do. There are touchy subjects and favorite ones. She's by turns kind and cruel. She still has her birds and her dogs and her turtles and cats. She still dresses like the eclectic style icon of the 1970s that she was. She loves to talk about fairy tale theater and bedtime stories, hates to talk about The Shining. And what else would you expect? These are my thoughts as I walk down to the gas station. I'm being dramatic here because there are actually two gas stations in the town. To buy a pack of Parliaments. It's the brand Shelley Smokes. Started for her film Thieves Like Us and Could Never Quit. Apparently she'll go through a pack or two in a day. (coughs) I couldn't even make it through one. But sitting on a little wicker chair outside of my motel room, looking out at the sparse peppering of cars on the long, flat country road, I felt like I had found some of what I'd been looking for. This is what Shelley is up to these days. Smoking parliaments on her porch, patronizing local stores, making erroneous calls to the sheriff's department, caring for her birds. Brightening some days, souring others. She's just a nice, retired lady. Hey there, it's me. That's right, the voice you've been listening to this whole time. I'm just interrupting myself to ask that if you're enjoying Texas Twiggy, you consider donating to the Patreon. This podcast took many, many, many hours of research, editing, travel, and of course, blood, sweat, and tears. Supporting financially helps keep it going and helps me bring you more podcasts and updates in the future. Patrons get perks like stickers, shoutouts, and updates, as well as early access to episodes and behind-the-scenes content. Go to patreon.com slash texastwiggy to chip in. Now back to the Shelleyverse. I didn't know why, yet. Why Shelley upped and left her growing empire of children's media. Why she abandoned her property, both physical and intellectual. I wanted to know why there was no Shelley vision, damn it. And who would have that information but Shane Duvall, Shelley's younger brother, living comfortably in the Houston suburbs. How are you doing, Erin? Doing all right, how about you? I'm doing well. This is Emma. She's uh, somebody we met from uh, California. She's here. Before we go today, I want to take a minute to talk about the people I've met as a result of this project and those who've helped me make Texas Twiggy what it is. Texas Twiggy doesn't have a payroll. Everyone who helped me out with this project did so of their own desire to either help me or channel their Shelley fandom into some kind of outlet. Avery Erskine, my wonderful friend of years and years, and a great proofreader and transcriber, did the former. For encouraging me when I thought I couldn't do it, 
for hyping me up when I thought I could. I want to say thank you. Olivia Springberg, who composed and performed and recorded the music for the show. You are absolutely incredible. Give this woman Ableton and an auto harp, and she will make magic. My parents, who paid for the hotels on my Texas trip. Whether it was because they saw where I planned on staying on my own dime and got scared for me, or simply because they wanted to help, I'm not entirely sure. But thanks to them, I stayed in some lovely Best Westerns while on the road, and saw the $40 a night motel I'd planned on patronizing only on my way out. There was a man lighting a crack pipe outside. My patrons, who are few in number but great in generosity, especially Sarah Lukowski, Sophia Polito, Ken Lehman, and Xavier Hamill, who were patrons from the beginning. Thank you for listening to my dailies and giving me a fun little outlet for audio practice and updates and encouragement. Here is where I will plug patreon.com slash texastwiggy yet again. Hope Lamond, who I met from this project and whose dedication to VHS and encyclopedic knowledge of the medium will never fail to impress me. We talk over Instagram almost daily and exchange Christmas gifts. Hope, I'm wearing my Florida shirt as I record. Everyone I interviewed, both on and off the record, Robbie, Bilge, Wyatt, Xavier, Shane, Stewart, Ryan, Jesse, Hope, the people of Blanco, random vitamin shop employees, the copyright lawyer who gave me 15 minutes free, anybody who commented on my various Shelley Duvall shirts, honestly, the list goes on. And last, but certainly not least, Sarah Lukowski, who I know only because of this project. I found her from her Instagram, Shelley Duvall XO, a fan account with the best archival footage and most obscure facts I'd never heard before. I messaged her to see if she'd go on a quick Zoom call, and what became of that call was a lasting friendship and partnership. Sarah has a tattoo of Shelley, gazing dreamily up from her arm, and an encyclopedic knowledge and ability to dredge up the most obscure of information. I want to thank her for posting promos for the podcast on her TikTok, even though it destroys her analytics. Without Sarah, this show wouldn't be what it is. We text daily now, and sometimes FaceTime while I struggle to finish a parliament. Like most of the people I met during this project, Sarah's wishes for Shelley are for nothing but prosperity and peace. As much as she's a diehard fan, she too understands and respects Shelley's humanity. At one point during production, she gave Xavier a photo of her tattoo and a letter to Shelley explaining what her work has meant to Sarah throughout her fanhood. Xavier sent Sarah back a photo of Shelley holding that letter and the photo of the tattoo. Sobbing in class, Sarah texted me, mostly joking. Mostly. Next time on Texas Twiggy. Texas Twiggy is reported, narrated, and produced by me, Emma Lehman. Our music is created and mixed by Olivia Springberg. Our research consultant is Sarah Lukowski. Special thanks to Avery Erskine for transcribing interviews, giving notes on endless drafts, and proofreading scripts. 
Special thanks to the wonderful people of Blanco, who were so welcoming and did not mind a reporter from L.A. barging in on them, and specifically to that barista, whose name I didn't catch, but who both made the best almond milk latte I've ever had and recommended the best pulled pork sandwich in the world. And to my boyfriend for doing the lion's share of the driving on the trip back. Thank you to my patrons, Ken Lehman, Sharon, Dana Edwards, Dwayne Lehman, Jen, Justine Springberg, Kelly Alasser, Liz Wheeler, Xavier Hamill, Kathleen Axe, Kavid Dacity, Dan Travis, Holly, Sarah Elizabeth, and Sophia Polito. Tune in next week for the finale of Texas Twiggy.